0: Good to see everyone here this morning. We're in Third John, and we're dealing with a, the shortest letter in the Bible. Second John is the second shortest letter in the Bible, and most scholars believe that Third John was the last book written in the New Testament canon. A lot of us have played on sports teams. And there's usually two ways you can get beat. Uh, you can be just dominated by your opponent who's clearly superior than you are. And you can end up being beaten from within. You can have a player who has a bad game. You can have a player who makes wrong decisions. Or as a team, you have low morale. This can be something internal. In Second John, John dealt with a concern for false teachers from without working their way into the church. And he was admonishing them to show hospitality, but to be discerning in their hospitality and not to support false teachers. In 3 John, the problem is not outside the church. The problem is inside the church. We will look at that today. There's also an admonition here for hospitality. Again, this church in 3 John had many traveling missionaries who came through and would teach and preach the word and the church would provide hospitality for them and provide provision for them and help them on their way as they carried the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. So there's both these books have an emphasis on hospitality. We're going to see today that this letter is not written to the church, it's written to a man named Gaius. And we're going to see his character, and we're probably going to find out as we get into the letter that there may have been a very good reason this letter went directly to Gaius. As we look at Gaius, we see four times that John calls him beloved. John loves him. The Lord loves him. He's been saved by the salvation of God himself. And I want us to look and see that this man had several, had four positive traits going on in his life. The first one was that he lived spiritually. Verse two, beloved, I pray that all, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health As it goes well with your soul, Gaius had a dynamic relationship with Christ, and Paul is simply saying in a greeting, "I pray that you would be that your health would be in reflection of your the spiritual walk you have with God." Many in the uh, name it and claim it health and wealth gospel take this verse to mean that God wants everybody to have good health and everybody wants everybody to prosper. That's not the emphasis of this passage. This is a welcome to Gaius and commenting on his soul and the relationship he had with Christ. So Gaius had a dynamic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That translated into verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4, he is now, because of this relationship with Christ, is walking in truth. Verse 3, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. So John is not at this church. He's out somewhere else. But the brothers who've been going around as missionaries have had contact with Gaius. And they come back to John and say, listen, this man is walking in the truth. He doesn't just believe the truth. He is living out the truth in his own life. They testify to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John saw himself as a spiritual father to Gaius, to this congregation, to other congregations he had had input in. And there is no greater joy for him than to see the followers of Jesus walking, living in truth, walking in truth, making a difference in life. This is true for parents as well, isn't it? The greatest joy of parents is that we see our children walking in the truth, following the Lord Jesus Christ, and slowly growing and becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no greater pain for a parent, there's no greater pain for a a leader of the church than to see the children of God not walking in a manner of truth, not walking in love and truth. We next see in verse five and six, Again, John says, beloved, we get the idea here that he's loved, don't we? We've seen it in verse 1. We've seen it in verse 3, 2. We've seen it now in verse 5. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. So Gaius had this effort to reach out and provide hospitality to these traveling missionaries. These were the brothers. These were the strangers. Gaius didn't know them, but they had come commended by John, and he took them in his home. He provided a place for them to stay. He provided provisions for them on their way. There wasn't a Motel 6 in ancient Rome. And finding a place to stay when you were traveling was very difficult you even had among secular people, groups of people who were known by each other across the Roman Empire, and they might come with some coin or some pledge to show that they were part of a certain group, and those people would allow them in their home. There was It was not safe to stay out on the open road at night, so finding lodging was very important. And so for Christians, it was really important that they provide lodging and care for these traveling missionaries whose, whose mission was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see here that Gaius was faithful in doing that. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Well, what's a manner worthy of God? That you give of your provision for them. That you give them your place to stay. That you feed their animals. That you make sure that they leave with their stomachs full, with their backpack with food in it, and with possibly uh, coins to carry them along their journey. And then we also see his generosity. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. One way we become fellow workers for the truth is supporting those who are legitimately proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice here in verse seven, they have gone out for the sake of what? The name. They're carrying the banner of Jesus Christ. This is the heart, this is the passion of these missionaries is that Christ's name would be known to the farthest reaches of the Roman Empire. You know, we're gonna start a series in first light beginning next week on evangelism. And we're going to talk about the, the purpose of it and the purpose of it within the church itself. We're going to talk about how to evangelize. But again, what is evangelism except what? Hearing, going out in the, for the sake of the name. That's what evangelism is. To proclaim Christ to those who've never heard of him before. That is the passion behind that. And we can all grow and our ability to be able to talk to people about the one we love and to proclaim his name. So I'd encourage each of us to be here for First Light as we begin that series next Sunday. It's a chance to be equipped. We're living in a dark age, and it's getting darker. What do we need to do? We need to carry the name. We need to carry the name of Christ wherever we go. That's what these missionaries had done Notice what they had also done. They had not accepted anything from the Gentiles. They weren't doing any support raising among the Gentiles to get the gospel out. Who is supposed to to support missionaries? The church. Christians are supposed to support those who go out in the name of Christ. So Gaius is highly commended. Now, we don't understand how highly he's commended till we get to the next paragraph because this body had a problem. So we first see beloved Gaius. Now we get to see destructive diatrophies. Verse 9. He says, I've written something This is only two verses, by the way. Two verses, and there's a lot in here. I've written something to the church. Okay, so he wrote a letter to the church. But, but always means we're going to go what? Different direction, right? Things are going well, I'm writing a letter to the church. But, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. What's he doing? Talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with just doing that, he refuses to welcome the traveling brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of The church. This church had a problem. The problem was a man. The problem was diatrophies. This man, whether he was an appointed leader or he had simply worked to become the leader, had control of this church by its throat. Notice the description of him who likes to put himself first. He loves preeminence. This is, his, this is what he loves. He loves to be the show. He loves to be preeminent over all things. And he has managed within this church to get complete control of everything that's going on there. He loves the place of preeminence. He loved himself But he didn't love others. Now we hear this word preeminence, don't we? Let's turn to Colossians chapter one, verse 18. There's someone else who desires to be preeminent. Colossians 1, 18. He, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the firstborn the beginning, from, beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. Above all things. Who is supposed to be preeminent in the church of Jesus Christ? One person. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is preeminent. There's a problem here. Diotrephes... For him to be preeminent, guess who's not preeminent? If it's his agenda, then Christ's agenda gets kicked to the curb. He loved the place of preeminence. This is the Pharisees. Remember, they loved the place of honor. They loved to ring the bell. Let everybody know when they were giving. They always went out to pray out in public where people could see them. It was all about the Pharisees and their what? What? preeminence. Diotrephes was about his reputation, about his name. This wasn't a doctrinal disagreement. This wasn't a theological disagreement. We have no record here that this man disagreed doctrinally with John. It was simply that he wanted his agenda in place that's what we have there and I'm sure he had very spiritual words as he talked to the people and he had very spiritual reasons why they rejected the brothers who were coming but the scripture cuts away all that and says listen he was really about putting himself first I wish I could say this is the only time this happens in this one little passage. But this passage is here for us. This little letter that was from Apostle John to Gaius has been saved so that we realize this is a problem in the church. There are people who get control, have complete control, and then they do their own agenda, not the agenda of God. And we have in in two little verses here, an incredible snapshot of what this looked like. Notice, he goes from warning his own way to secondly, he does not acknowledge our authority. Who's our? John? the last living apostle who saw the Lord Jesus Christ and was commissioned to take the gospel to the world and to be over certain churches in a very unique way. The age of apostles has passed. This is the last apostle. And Diotrephes has the audacity to reject the authority given to the apostle John. This is unbelievable. Notice in verse 9, I have written something to the church. I have written something to the church. What would that have been? A letter. He wrote a letter to the church and the implication here is Diotrephes intercepted it and kept it from being read to the church. Because it didn't fit his agenda. Maybe it didn't make him look too good. Maybe, he, maybe John was saying, listen, support these brothers who are missionaries who are coming in among you. It may have even had a word about geographies in it. Because he has no problem in this letter letting everybody know, when I get there, it's going to be on. We're going to deal with this situation. But can you believe rejecting the authority of the Apostle John? Diatrophes filters the letter, he screens everything. And this is not where he stops. You'll notice there's no bounds of whom he will reject. You'd say, surely not the apostle John. Maybe Gaius, maybe somebody else in the congregation, but people who are proud, and it's about their agenda, nobody gets in their way. They will take on whoever it is, and whatever position of authority they have, if their agenda is threatened. A.T. Robertson talks, stories written about him as a young pastor that he was in a church and he served with a fellow elder. And as long as he agreed with the fellow elder, everything was great. Whenever he didn't agree with the fellow elder, the fellow elder called him Diotrephes. You're just a Diotrephes. You just have to have your way. In reality, the elder he was serving with was the Diotrophies. have you ever been in a work situation where you serve where you've worked with a diatrophies where it has to be his way or the highway there's, there's diotrophies in church leadership there's diatrophies in business leadership there's diotrophies in government if you get a diotrophies who's strong enough in government you're in for a real ride because they have all the power and control and can do whatever they want. It's called a dictatorship. But there's no bounds. The word diatrophies literally means reared by Zeus or nursed by Zeus, a name of nobility. So whether he came from a noble family, whether he just thought he was nobility, he had worked his way into that church to the point he had complete control of what went on there he was greedy for spiritual power there's no selflessness here there's no love lovingness there's no compassionate compassion there's no hum, humbleness there's no anything let's turn to Titus chapter 1 A little contrast here will help us Titus 1, starting in verse 6, he's talking about appointing elders and he's giving the qualifications for elders in the church. He says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. I think we saw that in this passage, didn't we? Or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He goes on in verse 10, for there are many who are what? Insubordinate. Empty talkers and deceivers. The elder is not to be insubordinate, an empty talker or a deceiver. Deceiver. They are to deal with the truth and speaking the truth. If you look at all the tenses in this passage, they're all present tense, which means this man was habitually rejecting their authority. He was habitually speaking evil against them. He was habitually refusing to welcome the brothers. He was habitually stopping those who wanted to, and he was habitually throwing people out of the church. So he displayed his pride. He showed his arrogance, being willing to reject the authority of the Apostle John. Sounds like Satan, doesn't it? Who rejects the authority of Almighty God. Doesn't matter. Diotrephes would have nothing to do with the Apostle John. Three... He delivered perverse accusations. How do you get control? You have to slander leadership to do it. That always comes with the territory. Is for you to have control, you have to slander leadership. You have to put some doubt in people's minds about the integrity of leadership so that eventually you take control of the situation. You slander to get control. Let's look at how that works, Proverbs 26, 20 through 26. This happens more than anyone would like to believe. Verse 20 of chapter 26 of Proverbs, this is what slander does. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer or slanderer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel, are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. So here we have the description of a slanderer. They come alongside and they have a prayer request or a little statement that would be made. Just speak in truth. Just have a few little things to say. And what happens to those is the people who listen undiscerningly, they take that into their heart. And now their view of the leader is shifted. Just just a little bit. And so, in a matter of days and weeks and months, little things can be said to where the view of the leadership gets shifted. And it's really hard to get this thought out of their mind of what the leader is. This man, it says in, in 1 John, was saying, Paul, John said they were saying wicked nonsense. Wicked nonsense. In other words, his accusations were what? Nonsense. There was no truth at all in them. But it was wicked because we were attacking the authority of the Apostle John and his effectiveness in the body of Christ. So it was no small thing to cause the whole body to begin to view John in a negative light for his own purpose and his own glory. John hasn't been here in a while. He just, he doesn't really care about you. I mean, I'm sure he's busy, but he doesn't have time. And, oh, he told me this, and, and he just was really concerned about this in your life. And, and he just has these things to say to this congregation. And no wonder when John sends a letter of showing care and love, that letter never gets to the people Because if it does, then the charade is over with, right? So here we are. And notice that he's able to glaze over his hatred with fervent lips, but has an evil heart. Here's the problem with the slanderer. They're always loving. They're gracious. And they drop slander in in such a way that you don't really pick up on it it's kind of mixed in like i you when we give our dogs medicine we always mix it in with something good they like and give it to them a slanderer doesn't come out and go this person's horrible they're terrible you should not follow them that's too obvious oh i think that's a slanderer over there yeah they are as this scripture says their lips are covered over with a glaze it it hides their heart whoever disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. And when he speaks graciously, believe him what? Not. You cannot believe. This is where it takes discernment. Because eventually what happens is you have a situation between the leadership and this person and you're trying to figure out which one's right and which one's not. It becomes quite a challenging situation to deal with. Second Samuel 15, if you remember that story, Let's turn to 2 Samuel 15. Here we have Absalom. And Absalom has a plan to become king. And here's his plan. He finds himself, verse 15, chapter 15 of 2 Samuel. It says, after this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from, from what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. People can't hear your complaint. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Oh, if I were the king, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did, all, did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Did Absalom just one day say, I'm going to take over the king? No. He said at the gate, he acted like their advocates. He heard their complaints. He gave them a kiss. He told them he was their man. And then when he rose up against David, they all rallied and followed. This is what Diotrephes has done to get in this situation. I have a friend in Illinois. He's a pastor. He had a church plant, and it was him and two other elders. And it went wrong. Uh, The two elders decided that they wanted to plant their own church. And so they basically insinuated that this man was involved in an adulterous relationship. They spread the rumor throughout the church. And one day, to his surprise, a good chunk of the church just leaves. They leave. And they take, oh, by the way... A good chunk of money out of the treasury for their new church plant. How did that happen? Whispering. Slander. That's all it takes. Eventually, the church folded, and several members came back apologetic for their leaving the church. But how did that happen? Just gossip and slander. It's really important, as the body of Christ that we know how to handle when we hear a bad report turn to proverbs 18:17 this church would have been very well served if they had practiced this little verse proverbs 18:17 says the first person who comes and pleads his case seems right until another comes and questions it Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. In doing biblical counseling, it's important to have both the husband and the wife there to get the whole story. What happens if someone comes to you with a negative word about leadership? You can find some things wrong with this, that's for sure. I <laughs> promise you that. If someone comes with a negative word, what should your response be to that? Your response should be, um, have you talked to Brother Paul about that? Or have you talked to Bob about that? Or have you talked to Cody about that? Or have you talked to Christopher or whoever else it is? And then to follow up with leadership to say, hey, didn't so-and-so ever come to you with their concern? It's really important that we're careful with what we hear because it goes down into our very soul. But this is really unbelievable here in this passage. They were talking wicked nonsense against them. And look at this, and, that, and they were not content with that. Diotrephes was not content just to speak against John. He refuses to welcome the brothers. Here these missionaries coming into the church, he himself refuses to welcome them. With a controlling, prideful person, everybody's a threat. Everyone's a threat. These missionaries were a threat. The apostle John was a threat. Gaius was a threat. We're not told here that Gaius was in or out of the church. But if he's still in the church, it's amazing that he still is because of diatrophies of what he wanted to accomplish. And all threats must be taken care of. And how do we take care of a threat? We slander to ruin their credibility, to destroy their confidence. He not only would not show hospitality himself, look what else it says and he also stops those who want to those brothers and sisters who are welcoming these traveling missionaries he commanded them to stop the hospitality that's unbelievable and then finally those who wouldn't follow his direction what did he do he put them where out of the church literally threw them out of the church. Well, now, how can one guy throw them out of the church? He's got to have the rest of the church agree to that, doesn't he? So to remove these people, he didn't just do it himself. He had to get the consensus of the church to do what? To respond to these people and throw them out of the church. Young pastors run into this all the time in churches. They come out of seminary, they're excited to serve the Lord, they walk into a church, and they run into a He could be the pastor emeritus. This is the pastor who supposedly resigned, but what? Didn't resign. Or it could be a powerful deacon or a deacon board. Or it could just be a man who has a lot of influence in the church, either financially or socially. He went to a church. He was welcomed there by the committee. He shared his complete doctrinal position with the church. And he began to preach the word according to that position. And one of the men on the committee, who was also one of the powerful deacons, didn't like a message he preached. And within a matter of months, he was removed as pastor. Of the church. MacArthur says this, most young men in the pastorate are not removed because of their doctrine or their poor preaching or their life. They're removed because there's a diographies in the church who doesn't want him to have control. So it's a real problem within the church of Jesus Christ. In Baptist churches, <clears throat> We've pretty much lost the whole position of elder. Alistair Begg talks about a church he visited in South Carolina. And they were, expre- they were supposedly preaching expositorily through the scriptures. They came to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. And the pastor got up to preach and he said, Well, looking at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, this is talking about elders. We don't have elders, so let's move on to deacons. Completely let that passage all by itself. Never asked the question, should we have elders? Should we put some elders in place? No, we're moving on to the deacons. A.T. Robertson, who was a great Greek scholar, in, a, in his denominational paper, wrote an article on diatrophies to which the editor of the paper let him know that he had 25 deacons who had written in and canceled their subscription to that paper because of the personal attack from A.T. Robertson. A lot of people want to have control of the church. They want control of the resources of the church. They want control of the leadership of the church. They want to take it in a direction. We're watching that take place in Washington, aren't we? there's been this continual movement towards shifting the direction of our country. Taking it from where it never has been to a whole different place. How do you do that? With slander and deception and all these things and, 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 and having having a... A, um, an outlet for information that has one side of the story, right? How do we know what goes on up there? You have to get more than one side of the story. So whether it's the government or whether it's the church, this is nothing new under the sun. Notice, this is a real problem. The whole purpose of the church is thwarted by this man. This one man has the purpose of the church around the neck. What does John say he's gonna do about it? He says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. In other words, there's gonna be a confrontation. John cannot allow his apostleship to be slandered. He cannot allow the church to be taken off on on a side path that detours it from the purposes of God. And he will, as a man of God, step in there and deal with the problem. And will it be loving? Yes, it will. Hopefully, the would repent. And the church would be put back on the right track. But it has to be dealt with. The Apostle Paul, if you read a lot of his letters, he is constantly having to defend his apostleship. Why is he having to defend his apostleship? One place he says, I'm crazy to say these things. Why did he have to defend his apostleship? Because there were people who were undermining the very authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So leadership faces, and the church will face from time to time, people who want to have absolute control of what goes on. And it's always for their agenda. And when it's for their agenda, Christ is dethroned and his purposes are dethroned. And these people step into power. You watch a church who has a pastor turnover every one or two years? You know there's a doctor if he's parked in there somewhere. He's parked in there. Or she. Could be a she. He or a she. And they have control. So this is a very practical letter. Notice in verse 11. Beloved, he's talking to Gaius again. Do not imitate Evil, but imitate good. Here's the word imitate mimic. Mimic good, not evil. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does not does evil has not seen God. He didn't say Diotrephes is not a believer. There's a good chance he is not a believer. He's either a prideful, backslidden, controlling immature believer or worse he's an unbeliever who's gotten control of the church notice over here in 2nd John he says everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of the truth does not have God so these false teachers did not have God 3rd John a person who does evil does has not what? seen God well how can that be that an unbeliever gets control of the church they can say all the right things. They, they they're not stupid. And they can have very spiritual sounding words, and they can work people, and they can gain control of the church of Jesus Christ. And John said, Not on my watch. I will come see him. I will come take care of this. He had a passion, he had a love for this church he had to probably send this letter to Gaius because he knew it would be intercepted. So he sent his good friend Demetrius with the letter to Gaius because who knows what Gaius had been told about the Apostle John. So we have a letter written to this church that nobody has anymore because this man destroyed it. Wow. Notice how God preserved this letter. This man wanted to be First of all, well, guess what? He has his name in the Bible, doesn't he? He's got two whole verses com- 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 committed to him. That's not what I think he was looking for, was it? Notice as we wrap up. So, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. He also adds, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Demetrius brings the letter, and John says, Everyone here where we are gives testimony that Demetrius is the real deal, and the truth itself lines up with his life. And finally, we give testimony as well. We have three witnesses that Demetrius is. The real deal. And you can bet that Demetrius would be attacked by who? Diotrephes. It wouldn't take Diotrephes five minutes to go, this guy's a threat. We've got to take him out. We've got to say something against him in that way. Notice that John has moved from being a fisherman to being a shepherd. He is a true shepherd, and he will deal with this, whatever he is, wolf, backslidden sheep, whatever he is, he will deal with him. Verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face-to-face, literally the words mean mouth-to-mouth. I love you. I love this church. I'm coming. I don't want to write anything else with pen and ink. I want to be there in person. And to deal with this problem, I have to do what? Be there in person to deal with this situation. Peace be to you. The friends here with me greet you. Greet the friends. Everyone in your congregation, greet them. He says, every one of them. John loved Gaius. He loved this church. He was willing to do what he had to do to deal with Demetrius, uh, uh, Diotrephes. Hopefully, He's just a backslidden believer who, when he's confronted, would repent and run to Jesus. But there's a good chance he's a wolf in control of the church of Jesus Christ. Well, can't we just all love and get along and can't we just let that go on? No, we can't. No, he couldn't. Because the church was purchased by what? The blood of Jesus Christ. Purchased by his blood. How dare it be taken off track and run on the agenda of either a backslidden believer or an unregenerate man. God forbid. God forbid. John loved this church. His heart was for it. As we learn in these two letters, there is attacks from without. There are attacks from within, seemingly people that love the Lord and know the Lord. We need to be loving and we need to be discerning. about what goes on and we need to be able to recognize slander when we hear it and to deal with it these are tremendous little letters very very practical letters for the church of Jesus Christ for our church dealing with false teachers from without dealing with people who are taking the church in a different direction from within May God give us grace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We're grateful for your church that is bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every soul is precious. And therefore, they, every soul here who knows you is to be used fully for your service We're not to be used for the purposes of another man or to be led astray into false doctrine and waste our life because the one who purchased us poured out his blood for us. Father, I pray that we would grow in our understanding of sound doctrine, that we would grow in our understanding of the truth, that we would grow in our own hospitality of reaching out to others with our homes and welcoming them in and sharing with them the glorious gospel that we would carry the name in our neighborhoods and at our work and among people who are dying and going to hell Father I pray you would help us as a church to become equipped more and more to be faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ Father, help us not to believe every wind of doctrine. Help us to test it. Help us become more Berean in our understanding of your word. Father, thank you for the Apostle John. Just a ordinary fisherman who was equipped by the Holy Spirit to be the shepherd of these flocks. Father, we're grateful that you preserve this letter that Diotrephes did not get it as well. And Lord, we thank you for your love and your care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.